Um, my name is Joe Mueller. I'm one of the elders here um, at Remedy, <clears throat> and it's my honor uh, to get to preach from God's Word today. Uh, our text today is going to be out of the, uh, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. Uh, so if you would go ahead and, and turn there. Um, now, uh, today is literally the last day you'll ever live in 2017. It is the last, right? December 31st, the last day. And New Year's, I feel like, is a very interesting time, right? Uh, A lot of us uh, think about the year that's gone on, and a lot of us look forward to the year that's about to become. Uh, We evaluate what's gone on, what we've accomplished, what has been added to our lives, what has been missing from our lives that we long for, desire for, or we're happy that's gone. And, and so we're looking back, but we're also looking forward, and we're envisioning what we want to go on. We are uh, thinking through what we desire to accomplish. We set plans about the things we're going to add to our lives, and then we're, we also think about the things that we want to choose to remove from our lives. And, and all of this, in, in my view, is, is something that we're doing because we want to have a better life. We want to be a different person. We want to experience life fully. And so as a result, as we approach that, a lot of us approach uh, life that way, this time of year can be full of expectation and and eagerness and excitement. And then for some of us, this time of year can be full of doubt and disappointment and despair. New Year's and this whole period of time is interesting because in many ways, this time of year is what it is because we have a false understanding of what it means to be. We have a false understanding of what it means to be human in this world. And we think that life and fulfillment and joy and contentment comes from what we accomplish or what we acquire or how much we can improve upon our condition. Each of us holds up this ideal picture of ourselves. And, and we think and we ask at this time of year, have I made enough progress? Am I getting closer to that picture of the ideal me? Have I gotten close enough? And how we answer these questions determine how we feel during this time of year, how we feel in our very core of our being. The answers either fill us with expectation and eagerness and excitement as we look at how much progress we've made or how close we've gotten or how we see so much of that ideal me in the mirror. I am almost that ideal me, and we're excited, and we're filled with anticipation for the new year. Or we're filled with doubt and disappointment and despair when our progress toward the ideal me seems lost in the slow of despair, or it seems far off on the horizon and we can't even see the ideal me. Or we might as well give up because when we look in the mirror, we don't even see a hint of that person that we want to be. And so my goal today, though, my goal, my aim, my objective is to attack this relationship that we all have with this ideal me. This person that we want to become. This person that often has more uh, of our culture than of Christ in it. 
It's something that we have conjured up for ourselves. It is a picture formed by our own sets of goals, aims, and desires, which again has more of our culture than of Christ. And so today I want to reorient our lives around a vision, a vision in a valley, and that the word of God renew and reform and resurrect the ideal me after the image it was always supposed to reflect, the resurrected God-man, our Jesus, our brother, our Christ, our King, and our God. And so let the text Uh, So let's go to the text, let's read it, and as we're reading it, if you would stand for the reading of God's word, and today if it would be helpful for your imagination, close your eyes and see the image of the valley of dry bones. So let's stand and let's read. Ezekiel 37, starting in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of Of the valley, it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, And stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord." When I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. And let's pray. And so, God, we we come to you, and we ask that this vision in the valley would reorient our minds and our hearts and that we would be transformed by this image of what you have done on our behalf. That we would leave the life where we try to doctor up our dry bones and we would come to you as the only source of life and we would be your people. We would be your army. We would be the image that you have created us to be. 
And so, Lord, use this text today to do that work in our hearts, we pray. Amen. And so today, uh, there will be three main questions, three main things that I want us to come to this text with to help us renew and reform and resurrect the image of the ideal me that we think about this time of year. There are three questions. The first is, why is a valley full of dry bones? The second is, what hope do these dry bones have? And the third is, what becomes of the dry bones. So why is the valley full of dry bones? So Ezekiel tells us, we're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 6 in just a second here, but uh, Ezekiel tells us that the valley is full of dry bones because of the judgment of God. If you thumb over just a few chapters, uh, uh, 31 chapters to be exact, which is the number of days in December, um, you will get to Ezekiel chapter 6. And this is a word of the Lord that comes to him, and it says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them and say, You mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord uh, God to the mountains and to the hills, to the ravines and the valleys. Right? So the valleys. This is a connection between uh, Ezekiel 37 and Ezekiel 6, these valleys. Behold, even I will bring a sword upon you, and I will destroy your high places. Your altar shall become desolate, and your incense altar shall be broken, and I will cast down your slain before your idols. And I will lay the dead bodies of the people of Israel before their idols, and I will scatter your bones around your altars. So again, we have the valley and we have the bones connection here. Uh, Verse 6, wherever you dwell, the city shall be waste and the high places ruined so that your altars will be waste and ruined, your idols broken and destroyed, your incense altars cut down and your works wiped out. And the slain shall fall in your midst and you shall know that I am the Lord. So God's judgment here communicated in Ezekiel 6 is styled this way, as high places destroyed, Slain worshipers cast before their dead idols and their cities and places of worship laid waste and ruined. The bones are there in the valley because God has put them there. God has judged Israel. And why has God judged Israel? Well, like in Genesis chapter 6, God has looked out over Israel And he has seen the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And God said about his own people Israel, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth. And just like in Genesis 7, which comes right after Genesis 6, right? Genesis 6 is a setup for the flood narrative uh, in, in Genesis. And Genesis 7 is the actual flood as it comes in Genesis 7, where the floodwaters rise, and if, if you think about what happens when those floodwaters rise, God is turning back the days of creation. God is create, recreate, decreating the world to a state when the waters cover the face of the earth, and you have the waters above and the waters below, which is the second day of creation. And so the judgment of God in Ezekiel 37 also represents to us a decreation event where, where the living are slain, and they're returned to the dust from which Adam came. So according to Ezekiel, God's judgment has come because of the sins 
of the people. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 4 says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. And so uh, I think it's important for us to ask, what sins did Israel commit? Um, And I I commend to you, if, if you have time, read all of Ezekiel. The first 20-something, 30-something chapters are so depressing. They are so sad because God just lays out to Israel all of the sins that they have committed. But I will just summarize a few of them from Ezekiel chapter 18. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 18 uh, lists idol worship, um, inappropriate sexual relationships, both inside and outside of marriage, Uh, Oppression of other human beings, especially the poor and needy. Evil lending practices. Outright theft of another's possessions. Perversions of justice. Commission of abominations. And they did not share their abundance with others in need. These are the sins that get outlined in Ezekiel chapter 18. But there are definitely more um, in uh, Ezekiel. So, so to summarize this list of sins, the people of God failed to love their neighbor as themselves. And they failed to love God as he had commanded them. These were Israel's sins. And so the valley uh, in this vision is full of bones because the people sinned and God judged them. Scattering their bones before the idols that they worshipped in rebellion against their creator and decreating Israel in the process by judging some and taking others into exile. And so, whose bones are those that you saw in your mind's eye as I was reading the passage? In one sense, the bones uh, you saw were other people's. They were the house of Israel. They were from people thousands of years ago that you saw. Um, and in this, uh, it, this, when we think about whose bones they are, uh, I want us to consider that maybe they're not just somebody's from thousands of years ago. Maybe they're not just bones from the house of Israel when Ezekiel was writing. Maybe you also saw your own bones there as well. And this is where the vision will become useful for us in destroying the ideal self we either chest thump and triumph and said, I'm the perfect me. Or we, we rip our clothes in despair because we're not who we want to be. Because these bones are your bones. Because as it turns out, sin brings death to all of us. Genesis 2, 17. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Genesis 2.17. So death is the punishment uh, for sin, for breaking the law of God in the covenant of creation. When God created us, he set up laws and rules and he said, obey me. And when we disobeyed, sin and death entered the world. But not only in the covenant of creation, but also in the covenant God made with Israel at Mount Sinai. Uh, Leviticus 26, it says, But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules, so that you will not do any, or so you, 
so that you will not do all my commandments, but break my covenant, then I will do this. Now re- remember for a second, what, how is God's judgment styled in Ezekiel 6? It's high places destroyed, slain idol worshipers cast before their idols, and the cities and places of worship laid low. Right? That's, that's how um, the judgment of God is styled in, in Ezekiel 6. Now, now look at, back to Leviticus 26, verse 30. I will destroy your high places, high places destroyed, and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols, slain idol worshipers cast before their dead idols. And my soul will abhor you, and I will lay your cities waste and make your sanctuaries desolate. Their cities and places of worship were destroyed. And I will uh, not smell your pleasing aromas. And I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations. So God sends people into exile. And I will unsheath the sword after you and your land shall be a desolation and your cities shall be a waste. So Ezekiel, uh, in chapter 6, he is telling the people of Israel that the prophecy of God all the way back in Leviticus 26 is going to come true for them, that they have broken God's covenant and that the penalty for this shall be their death and their destruction. God's penalty for sin is death. When we reject his rightful claim on our love and our obedience and our devotion and our all, the penalty for all of us is death. And so I've, been, I've said this a couple times now, and I've been working really hard to establish this principle for you that sin causes death. Sin kills us. Rejecting the creator and giver of life results in the opposite of life. This principle has been true since the very creation of the world, and it is still true today. New Testament writers picked up on this. They read the Old Testament They had the Holy Spirit in them, and they said things like this. They said in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We'll get to that uh, second good part in, in a second here. So what you earn for your sin, think about this, what you earn for your sin, like when you go to a job and you do the work they tell you to do, they give you something. They give you money, right? They give it to you. And so when we sin, what we get, what we earn, what we acquire for ourselves is death. Like wages that we earn when we're working. Death is a cruel, sin is a cruel master. Now the authors of the New Testament, they didn't just look out into the world and say, oh man, look at all those people full of death. They also looked at themselves and saw this principle of death even within themselves. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short the glory of God. James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. Romans 5.12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So in a very real sense, Each and every one of you, when you closed your eyes, the bones that you saw in that valley were your bones. They were yours. They weren't anybody else's. Well, there are lots of other people's because we all are in that valley. 
Every single one of us is there. Our bones are there. And so I hope that you see yourself there and you're asking the same question that God is asking in verse 3. Because God says in verse 3, and he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? If you, if you see yourself as a sack of bones, very dry bones, I hope that's the question that you're asking yourself today. Can these bones live? I hope you have that desire to be alive. Because Jesus promises, he says, I have come to give you life. Do you have that desire? Can these bones live? Another way of asking this question that God is asking Ezekiel is, is there any hope for the bones? Is there any hope for the bones? Now, how would the spirit of this time of year answer this question for you? If you go to Forbes.com and read the articles about how you keep those New Year's resolutions and how you become the person that you want to become and how do you accomplish the things that you want to accomplish that will create the circumstances for your happiness that will allow you to be okay if you just lose that extra weight, right? Or if you read so many books or if you work on certain relationships or you get a new job or move into a new house or get financially stable, how will Forbes.com tell you to put flesh on your bones? It'll say stuff like this in an article entitled Three Surefire Ways to Succeed with Your New Year's Resolutions, which was published two days ago. It'll, it'll give you these three tips. Number one, be really specific about your goal. No vague language about it, right? You got to know what you want. Step two, you got to be realistic about your expectations, right? You can't go from a couch to an ultra marathon in two months. Not going to happen. Be realistic. And then number three is have a workable plan of action to get it done. Wishing and hoping is not doing. So you got to come up with a plan and stick to it. And you hear like stuff in the world all the time. All the time. And to be honest, it really is good advice. Like if you're trying to get something done, listen to Forbes.com. It's, it's good advice. Good advice. Um, but it is powerless. Powerless to change the condition of dry bones. Powerless. Doing something will not change who you are. Accomplishing something will not change the condition that you are in. No amount of specific, realistic, actionable goals are going to make these bones live. When it comes to that, the advice of Forbes.com is just silly. It's silly. And Ezekiel recognizes this too. Look at uh, verse 3 in, in his response. So God says, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Now, uh, I hope there's no Browns fans here because I'm going to talk about the Browns for a second. Imagine you're having a conversation with a friend and you ask her, what are the chances the Browns, who, by the way, have not had a winning season since 2007, this year they have zero wins and 15 losses. So you're asking this friend, what are the chances the Browns have a winning season next year? And she says, 
only God knows that. What do you think she's trying to communicate to you? She's trying to say that the chances are so slim, it will take divine intervention for something like that to happen. Divine intervention. She is saying that the chances are so bad. They are very, 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 very bad. And so Ezekiel is saying that you have no earthly hope, no shot, no ability, no chance to gather up your bones yourself and be the person you want to be under your own power. There is no way you can put flesh on your bones. There's no way you can shape your skeletal face and to be that, that beautiful face that you want everyone to see who you are. There is no way you can become your ideal you by making specific, realistic, workable plans. Have you ever been in a graveyard? Have you walked among the dead and their tombs and read their tombstones and seen the dates? Have you ever seen in that graveyard the dead accomplish anything? Have you ever been able to see them change their state of being just a little bit? Maybe go from all dead to just partially dead? No. No. They are making no progress to making them their ideal selves. They are dead. Dead people do nothing except for lay in the ground. They are dead. So why then would any of us bank our hopes on what we can accomplish in 2018? Why would any of us feel like our hopes have been shattered by what we failed to accomplish in 2017? Why do we believe that we, under our own power, can actualize anything about what we want to become or who we want to be as people? The dead can't do a thing. And so instead of feeling that way, instead of uh, beating ourselves up because of what we failed to do, or placing all of the eggs in the basket of maybe I'll be able to accomplish this this year, and striving and working so hard, I would commend to us the, the response of Paul in Romans 7, verse 24. This is how Paul responds to the fact that he is dead. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And so now I have just crushed everyone's New Year's resolutions, and that's not my intent, right? New Year's resolutions can be good. What I want to do is reorient our lives and reorient the way we think about the things that we want to accomplish. I I want to crush us with the law and bring us low before our creator because the job of the law is to actually do just that. It's meant to crush you. It's meant to give you no hope in yourselves. And it's supposed to drive us to the one place that we do have hope. And so that leads us to our third and final question here. What becomes of these dry bones? What hope do they have? How do they become what they were always meant to be? Well, uh, Ezekiel 37, verses 4, let's pick up there. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. God's about to say something. When God says stuff, we need to listen. The God who spoke the world into creation is about to speak. 
And what's he going to say? He says, behold, I will cause breath to enter you. Just like he breathed on Adam and he became a living spirit. I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and cause flesh to come on you. Just like he formed Adam out of the dust and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. God looks out over the sea of bones, over your bones, and he promises to recreate what his judgment has decreated. The dead shall rise, and they shall receive flesh, and they shall receive breath, and they shall live again, and they shall know that the I am is the Lord. So here in Ezekiel, we have an extremely compact form of the promise of the gospel extended to us. And I want to talk about two things here as it relates to the, this gospel promise. The first is that God promises us. Uh, the first is what, 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 or who, really it's a who. Who the gospel promises us about who we will be created as. So uh, in Ezekiel uh, 37, there are four things that he is saying about who we are now that we've been recreated. Uh, the first is that we are recreated flesh and spirit. We're recreated human beings. Uh, that's in verse 7 through 10. Uh, the, the second thing is that we become an army. If you look at the end of verse 10, uh, it says that we become uh, an army, a, a very great army, all of us together. Um, and then if you look uh, in verse 11 and 12, it, it, it shows us that we become God's people. And then uh, finally in verse 12 and 14, it talks about how we inhabit a promised land. And so uh, many of these things would be good to talk about as we, we enter 2018, um, to think about how you're part of an army, this great multitude of the Lord, and, and what all that might mean now that you are a member of an army when you consider 2 Timothy 2.4. Or you, you may think about what it means to be the people of God and how that might shape your relationships with other people here in this room and how it might shape your relationship with Christians out in the world around us. Or you might think about the promised land, the, the land of rest and eternal glory and how narrow the gate is to get there. Or, or you might think about how careful you should be lest it should seem that any of us have failed to reach it. All of those would be a great way to spend your afternoon. So go home, read Matthew 5, read Hebrews 4, read 2 Timothy 2, 4. Think about these things. But now in this time... I want us to consider who it is we are being recreated after. What is that flesh and that breath that is entering us? Whose image are we being recreated after? For that, let's uh, go to Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. There it says uh, in verse 9, do not, let, uh, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, the practices of the bones. Put them off. And put on the new self, right, that new flesh, that new breath that has entered us after our recreation, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, who is our creator? The answer is Jesus. Look at Colossians 1, 
13 through 18. It says, The Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So Jesus, the image we are becoming is Jesus. And if there is any ideal self that you would imagine for yourself, let it be Jesus. Let your dreams be for his love and for his joy and for his peace and his patience and his kindness and his goodness and his faithfulness and his gentleness and his self-control to ooze from all of your pores and to permeate every single one of your permeable membranes, right? Every bit of you to become like this Jesus. So go to the Gospels and behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and resolve to believe in his name to trust in his promises and obey his commands and make sure you do it in that order. If you believe upon his name, and what this means is that you believe that Jesus is a resurrected God-man, that he is our brother, our Christ, our King, our God, and that what he has done on this earth, he has done for you. That's what it means to believe upon his name. So believe upon his name and call upon the name of the Lord, which means that in our prayers to him, we cry out with our voice and say, Lord, save me. Save me, God, because salvation is only found in you, Jesus. I cannot put together these dry bones. I cannot be anything but dead. So we believe upon his name. We cry out to him and say with our voice, Lord, save me. And this is what God promises to do. This is the gospel that God has said. God has said, I will put flesh on your bones and give you my spirit. The Holy Spirit, the breath of life, will come and make your dry bones rattle together and come together and put on flesh And give you skin, and he will dwell within you and fashion you after the image of your creator, Jesus Christ. This spirit is God. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is the Lord and the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. This spirit is the seal of our inheritance and our intercessor with groanings and our very present help. In time of trouble, he is a comforter in our afflictions, and he is our memory of all that Christ has said, and he is fashioning all who believe in the name of Jesus into the image of Jesus. This spirit of Christ is making you like the person of Christ if you believe in Jesus. 
so that the world might glorify the name of Christ. So why is this so? How did God bring about this resurrection? What happened that Jesus deserves all of the praise and all of the glory and all of the adoration and all of our obedience and every ounce of who we are? What happened in Palestine in the first century that made all of this possible? Well, the God-man Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, which we just celebrated at Christmas time, and he was born of the Virgin Mary. What humility and condescension of our God. He lived a perfect life where he never transgressed one jot or tittle, which means any little stroke of the pen of God's law. He obeyed everything perfectly. What holiness and righteousness of our Savior. And for, uh, for his just, righteous, perfect, and blameless life, what did he earn for himself? He received punishment as a criminal of the most heinous variety. He was crucified with an insurrectionist, a, a terrorist, a murderer. And he was hung on a tree where he died. And a, a spear pierced his side and blood and water flowed. Now what compassion What substitutionary, sin-removing death that our God died on our behalf. And he died on that tree and he was taken down and he was buried. How can the Lord of life be laid with the dead in a tomb? But after three days, death could not keep him bound. And he rose again from the dead and he showed himself to hundreds of people. Hundreds of witnesses who saw Jesus raised from the dead. And from their testimony, from their testimony, this church stands today. He ascends to heaven where he is currently sitting at the Father's right hand, ruling and reigning over and through his church until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. What a gloriously victorious and triumphant Savior. And so would you believe upon his name today? Would you cast aside all of your efforts to become the ideal you and trust in the Jesus who is the ideal you and who will fashion you after his image? And don't give up on New Year's resolutions, because New Year's resolutions can be a great way to love our neighbors, to love our neighbors as ourselves. We should resolve to do that, and we should strive to do that well, but understanding that it is God who is at work in us. And I want to leave us uh, here with this. I want to leave us uh, with this picture, with this image of what God has done. So I'm going to talk about the movie uh, Tangled. Anybody, any of the kids in here know Tangled? It's a good movie. Any of the adults know it? A couple? Okay. I'm going to spoil it for you if you haven't watched it. So I apologize. It's seven years old. But listen to this. We're going to Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. So uh, Romans 5, verse 6, it says, For while we were still weak. So in other words, when we were just a stack of bones. When we were still weak, at the right time Christ died For the ungodly. 
For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. This is where Tangled comes in. So Tangled, uh, it's a movie about Rapunzel. So young, young girl, I, I think she's, I don't know how old she is, 18? Okay, she's 18. On her 18th birthday, she wants to go see the lanterns that go up into the sky. And she has been stolen from her parents, who are the king and queen of the kingdom, by Mother Gothel. Because Mother Gothel is evil. She's wicked. She wants to, she's so vain. She just wants to look young always. And so uh, she steals her so that she can stay alive. Um, and she sings a song and then she becomes young again and stays alive. And so she's locked Rapunzel away in this castle uh, tower. Um, and despite all of Mother Gothel's best efforts, Rapunzel turns out to be this great woman, right? She's a frying pan ninja, right? She like does awesome things. She's terribly kind. She's compassionate. She's thoughtful. Uh, she, she's accomplished. She, she's a great artist. Uh, she can sing really well. If you've seen the movie, uh, it's Mandy Moore. Um, so like she's a great person. And um, very last scene. So uh, there's this other character. His name's Finn. Um, he's a... Oh, no, that's right. What's his name, Joey? Yeah, I forget now, too. What's his name? Flynn Rider, that's right. Not Finn, Flynn. Flynn Rider. So he's a criminal. Uh, he's, he's a criminal, but sometimes he gets tangled up with, with uh, Rapunzel, um, and he falls in love with her. Because who wouldn't, right? Who wouldn't fall in love uh, with someone so lovely? And at the very end, he's coming to save her. Mother Gothel has taken Rapunzel back. Um, and he's climbing the tower to save her. He comes out of the window, and, and Mother Gothel slips a, a little knife in his back. And he's like laying on the floor dying. And so uh, Rapunzel makes this uh, uh, deal with Mother Gothel. And, and uh, he, he says, um, all right. Uh, Rapunzel says, all right, if you let me heal him, because her hair is magic and it heals people. That's how Mother Gothel has stayed alive. Um, if you let me heal him, I will be your slave. I'll go with you wherever you want, and I will, I will never try to run away ever again. Right, so she's a woman of her word. Another really good plus for Rapunzel. And so, um, so she comes in to heal him. She comes in to heal him. And Flynn grabs a shard of glass, and he cuts off her hair. And he gives himself up for her, right? Because he loves her so much. He loves her so much. And this is what, this is what um, verse 7 is saying. He said, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Right? And that's what Flynn does. He dares to die for someone he loves. But do you know what? We're not Rapunzel in this story. We're Mother Gothel. We're the evil, wicked, terrible person. And do you know what Jesus does for us? He dares to die for us. When we were a sack of bones, when we were wicked and evil and rebellious against him, he dared even to die for us. That we may have life that he may grab that sack of bones and put flesh on it and put his spirit in it and create you after his image, his beautiful, glorious, amazing, just, true, powerful, mighty, holy image. 
That is the message of the gospel. That is why Paul, writing, says this. He says, therefore, in verse 9, we have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Jesus rising from the dead is his guarantee to you that you will rise again. And more than that, we also rejoice. We glorify God. We sing his praise. We publish what he has done for all the world to see. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray. God, your gospel, your good news of what you have accomplished is our only hope for these dry bones to have flesh and to have breath and to be full of your spirit and to be fashioned after the image of your son. And so, Lord, as we look out over the past year, and as we look ahead to the new year, let that image be what we long to be. Let that image shatter all of our hope in ourselves and all of our putting lipstick on a pig and trying to doctor up our own dry bones. Let us abandon all that and put all of our hope in all of our trust, in all of our care, in all of our effort into trusting in Jesus, into believing upon his name, into calling upon him to be saved, and then acting in faith, stepping out in faith, believing that his promises to us are true in every respect, in every instance, He is faithful to deliver on his promise. And Lord, let us be cause for praise. Let our hearts sing for joy at the work that you have accomplished. Let us delight and marvel as we see Jesus shining through us into the world around us. Let us be full of hope and peace as we examine and see, wow, look what God has done putting flesh on my bones and the spirit of life within me. And Lord, for those of us who have trusted in you, grow our trust even more. And for those of us who haven't, Lord, I pray that your spirit be at work even now, creating that trust, that hope, that faith in us today. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.